Welcome to Why Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is titled Here Comes the Sun. Here Comes the Sun. A side wah fact for you all Here Comes the Sun is one of Mother Wah's favorite songs. But now, getting to the podcast, you may have forgotten. That during this giant global pandemic we have going on, there's another very important thing that we sort of forget about. It's been talked about for ages, but really the news doesn't really mention it much anymore. I'm talking, of course, of climate change. And some of our listeners got in contact and asked, what about renewable energy? How are we going with getting more renewable energies into the world? Do we have a chance? Is everything stuffed? Are we all just going to be living underwater very soon? Answer that question I thought of only one person I wanted to talk to. If we're talking all things energy, the first person I want by my side who builds up my energy like some kind of battery of atomic energy, Dan JJJ J Beeston. Hello, Dan. I'm you. I use acid. <laughs> As part of your, I'm oh, you're, filled with acid. Oh, <laughs> well, you're getting older, Dan. So I guess that's uh, that's that's what happens when you get older. You get reflux, and yeah, yeah, it's it's not good. I'm sorry. About no, that. just everything: the bones, the blood, <laughs> everything's acid. I'll Dan, be your battery, Dan Cathode Beeston. And but if we are talking energy, please welcome back to the podcast the old friend of the podcast, Dr. Joel Gilmore. Hello, Dr. Joel. Hello. How are you? Good. Or as we like to call him, Rolling Coal Joel. <laughs> you don't call, what happened then? <laughs> is that what we do now? Is that what? Yeah, yeah. Didn't, isn't that what you did to your Corolla? You like set it up so it would just burn and like pump black smoke out the back? Are you, are neither of you familiar with the concept of rolling coal? No, I don't. No. It's just, okay. 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 The, oh my goodness. Well, no, this is a this is possibly a great jumping off point for the subject. Okay. It involves getting a pickup truck and setting it up so it burns as much fuel as possible and just pumps black smoke into the air as a sort of a a, a costly rebuttal to people driving Priuses. And we're and we're implying Joel does this. Dr. Joel yes. Gilmore. Yeah. I and mean technically, yes, I have a Corolla, but it, you know, it sort of more rolls along. It doesn't coal roll along. Ah, okay. So I've, I've misunderstood this. Maybe I've, maybe I've, uh, maybe I've misassociated you with stuff. Sorry. I'm very excited. We've got Dr. Joel on now. I'm certainly he- feeling welcome to talk about energy and the future of the planet, knowing that my credentials have preceded me as a, as a strong supporter of climate change. Let's, um, let's, let's, <laughs> let's um, segue into less away from Dan for a moment and more to the subject. And uh, Dr. Joel Gilmore is uh, an expert on renewable, renewable, Dan, renewable energy. Coal is not renewable. And uh, yeah, so Dr. Joel, we had you on many years ago, maybe for those who listen to the podcast, Joel's been on a few times, but you were talking about the energy grid in Australia and whether we had to go nuclear in Australia. This is about seven years ago, I do believe. And we thought, well, our listeners got in contact and were like, well, 
how are we going renewable energy wise in the world? How are we, how is it all looking for us? You know, the, the Paris agreements and that sort of stuff. Are we, are we boned? Are we not boned? Is it all smooth sailing? What's the, what's the deal, Dr. Joel? How do you, how do you feel before we even start? One to five, one being, uh, oh, build a bunker and five being, yay. Where, where do you put us? Well, on renewable energy specifically, I'd actually put us like a four. What? Really? And, and this is only pretty recent, but I'm actually feeling kind of good on renewables. If you want to talk broader climate change and actually, you know, all the other sectors, mm. then it's sort of like a 1.5 maybe. <laughs> okay. So it all averages out somewhere. Also, can I point out that building a bunker probably involves quite a lot of concrete and concrete is one of the biggest yeah. outputs of carbon, right? Yeah. I intend huge. My... Yeah, so don't build a bunker unless it's out of renewable material. I'm going to make my bunker out of the bones of the population when they've all expired. Well, and I think this is like, yeah, and we're getting way off tangent from renewables <laughs> here, but this is the really key thing is that, you know, renewables, uh, it's almost like we kind of know what to do now. Like, you know, we've sort of got a plan, we've got the technologies, there is interest and in everything. And attention is almost now starting to turn to what do we do about all these other sectors? Mm. And in particular, you know, things like aluminium smelting or concrete that produce a lot of emissions. Can we port those industries into using electricity that we can then convert into renewables? Mm. It's like same with like uh, electric vehicles and Dan's souped up Corollas. You know, if you can convert transport into electricity, well, that's a problem that we know how to solve. We know how to green electricity. We don't mm. quite know how to green biofuels really well yet. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, so there's a lot of feeling about, we understand that there's airline flights, but that's a very small percentage. Uh, there's farming, which makes climate change gases. There's cars, which make a percentage. There's industry, which is a big part of it. There's all these different things. But as you said, if we can go over to renewable energy, that will, power a lot of these industries a lot of these areas anyway and not all of them i mean electric planes are possible but difficult due to battery sizes so but you were saying you feel pretty confident about renewable energy uh, is that in australia or around the world do you feel look i guess you know it's always depends how you define confident because there's really two things driving this success one is you've got to have the technology to do the transition Mm. And the other is you've got to have the political will to drive it fast enough. Mm. So I think if you look in Australia right now, there is universal agreement that if you need to build a new power station, it's not going to be coal and it's almost certainly not going to be gas. It's going to be a mix of wind, solar, firmed with batteries, pumped hydro, that type of thing. Like renewables are so much cheaper than new thermal power stations. Really? Okay. So it's actually cheaper to make a renewable power station than, a, than an old school one. Yeah, it, exactly. Solar has just, it, every year it gets cheaper and cheaper. And every year people think, oh, I'm probably reaching the end of the curve. And there seems to be no end in sight. So there's this expectation and who knows, but it seems reasonable that costs will halve again over the next decade, at least. So we discussed last time, many years ago, that Australia doesn't need to go nuclear. I mean, other countries have. Uh, I've noticed that Germany has cut back on their nuclear power programs. They've actually shut down nuclear power. So I'm not going to go down that path again. Nuclear power 
doesn't seem to be required. Are you saying that we now, with the technology, that it's still going to be a, a mesh of different technologies that we sort of mesh into the grid? That's the best way to do it still? Yeah, it, it, exactly. Like, there's no silver bullet. And that's true of renewables. It's true of climate change in general. It's not like there is one thing that you could bring in. Um, so a fusion, in- a fusion reactor? Well, again, a fantastic contributor. I mean, if you could get it working and the cost <laughs> down. And, you know, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a humorous statement. But also I'm, I'm a bit of a fusion optimist. I mean, in theory it should work and I'm sure we're going to get there. Great contributor. But also wind and solar are so cheap that what you actually really want in a technology is flexibility. So we're starting to see this situation where, and this is some of the modelling that I do, looking ahead for a few years and looking at what the mix of technologies look like. We're going to be in a situation where in the middle of the day, you can pretty much supply the entire grid using just solar power. Wow. That's Australia, of course. That's Australia. Yeah, that's Australia. That's Australia. Sun-soaked Australia. Okay. Sun-soaked Australia. And, you know, how we export that energy to the rest of the world is sort of another question. Mm, mm. But there's no, like, we can do that. And there's some really hard engineering challenges around how you move to running everything just off inverters and solar panels rather than big spinning coal machines. But Mm. we can figure it out. The question then is, what happens in the rest of the day? And if you've got a, a nuclear power station, or indeed, I suspect, a fusion power station, these are probably things that you're going to want to run flat chat. They're, you know, and nuclear, the new nuclear power stations, yeah, they're probably a bit more flexible. But what we really want is things like storage or mm. flexible pumped hydro, that type of thing, which can run in the evenings and fill in gaps so we can use these really cheap solar and wind resources mm. to fill in the gaps around them. And that's something that those firm, inverted commas, firm baseload technologies, inverted comma baseload, aren't yep. great at. That's Flywheels. Yes. Yeah, flywheels. Exactly. Great stuff. Once again, go. Um, you're talking, I always hear that. People go, ah, oh, yes, well, these power things like solar and wind, they can't do baseline power. As if there's a, a gospel that you have to have baseline, you have to have a machine running all the time. But with our smarter systems, that's not true, is it? We don't need to have the, the old concept of baseline power. Well, exactly. It was just, you know, this idea of baseline or baseload power, it's just exactly it's because that's what we had. So we had coal power stations that like to run a lot and we had gas power stations that only like to run a little bit. And so the coal power stations would run a lot and then when there were peaks, you'd switch on the gas. So you'd sort of shape it around the load. When mm. people use more power, you run the gas. All we're doing too is now moving to a system where there's flexibility on both the demand side and the supply side. So now there are times of high demand, but there's also times of low renewables, and we need to have the flexible stuff to fill in those two different gaps. It's not really any different. It's just maybe a little bit more flexibility now than we ever used to have. We've had the idea for a long time of, I think it's a capitalist concept of you have a person who owns a company and that company owns factories and that factory makes power and they sell you that product and the system, inverted commas, works. Do you think the future is still going to look like that or is there going to be much more uh, I, Gregoire, generates power on my roof uh, with a big windmill on my roof and Dan Beeston, uh, you generate power through tidal because uh, in the mangrove area you live in and Joel, you have a big turn wheel. And there's sea that's come up real quick the yeah. last couple of years. <laughs> and Joel, you have a big hamster wheel that you run in and get like really buff on. Is that? Do you think that's going to be a, a part of it, of, of generating power at home or individually? It's such a hard question. So, yeah, absolutely a part of it. 
this future of people having more decentralized power, more control of their own supply and also their own demand. So more flexible appliances, air conditioners that Mm. can switch off for a couple of minutes at a time and help to and get paid for that privilege. You know, if you are willing to be more flexible with your power, you get cheaper power. And I think Mm. that's a really great outcome. How much we need to decentralize is a really tough question. There are advantages to doing it. There's also sometimes disadvantages. It can sometimes be more costly to build 10,000 tiny power stations Mm. than build one large. But other times it's actually going to be less costly because roofs are free. They're just sitting there and Mm. everybody can put a battery in their garage. So there's probably a question of how much is what is the least cost way of doing this? There's also a question of resilience. Mm. If you've got a whole lot of power stations all spread out, that actually can be really great because it means there's not a single point of failure. Right. Uh, but it can also be harder because now, see, I'm, I see I'm getting like an academic here and I'm equivocating. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the things we haven't agreed is that we have this operator, central operator, that is constantly like a, like a mad scientist or Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, the original one, you know, constantly adjusting supply everywhere. You know, you go up a little bit, you go down a little bit to keep the system perfectly balanced and secure. Mm. And if you've got 10,000 rooftop solar systems, that's actually a lot harder. Mm. You know, some of those systems you don't have control of, some you don't know what they're doing at any time, Clouds can move over anywhere and suddenly these big drops in power. So this system becomes more complex. But that's good for people who like engineering because complex problems just mean cool solutions. How do you vent to extra power? Yeah, as in like in the middle of the day if there's like too much solar. Middle or... of the day, too much solar, all the all the all the wires are full. <laughs> how do you how do you vent it? How do you like tip a bit of power out, not like electrocute a bunch of cats? No joke, it's actually a really serious problem in South Australia. There's, in a few years, there'll be this situation where there's more solar panels than there is demand for that power. So if you've got remote control, you can shut off a solar panel and it just doesn't generate electricity, and that's fine. Most of the panels that are currently built, you don't have that control. So, you know, there are solutions you can encourage people in in our market prices go negative if there's too much power which means you actually get paid to consume power (laughs) so if you're someone flexible maybe you're a a business that needs to run your freezers for 12 hours a day but it doesn't really matter when being paid to run your freezers great thing for your business or maybe you export hydrogen and there's extra power you switch on your hydrogen electrolyzers you make some hydrogen you store it up for later there's lots of, I mean, you talked about aluminium before, Dr. Joel, and I mean, aluminium takes a butt-ton of energy to, to smelt to a bauxite. And so if you can make it free from, from solar power or, or, or renewables, then you could pump the extra energy into that sort of system that's you know, a factory that's running, making electricity. Or how about, <gasps> we can all be rich, we could have a, um, a Bitcoin mining uh, organization using all the extra power, and Australia could be absolutely wealthy there you go i've solved the problem Shh, don't tell anyone i'm gonna i'm gonna that's the smart of the better idea i'm I, look i stole it from norway but anyway that's fine not norway no no iceland sorry iceland not norway so, wow that yeah. you're gonna be in trouble now norway iceland confusion yeah, i know they look look they i think we have i think we have someone from norway listen sorry we used to well oh damn it 
but yeah, so we could, so the, yeah, there are things we could add more power to, uh, surely, uh, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have that more flexibility. Uh, there are sort of wackier ideas out there. The extreme one is you just build a whole bunch of giant resistors in the, um, <laughs> in the middle of the city or something and you just turn them on heaters basically and just chew up the power. That's what they do on King Island, Tasmania, but they actually run on 100% renewables a lot of the time. And instead of always varying supply, they actually have a resistor that mm. runs harder or less to soak up and match that supply and demand at all times. Ah. I'm not sure how I feel about a device that turns electricity into heat that we vent into the atmosphere. This seems like a could be a problem for, for some, some, some sort of climate thing. I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't heard much about these climate things recently. It seems to go on right off the radar. Yeah, well. What we should do is we should get that power, run it into refrigerators and just leave the door open. That would solve, <laughs> solve the problem, right? That seems like a Futurama answer. <laughs> I think it's a couple of physicists that would like a word, Dan. I oh, don't listen to them. Terrible people. Well, so what else does. <laughs> I, there's some interesting, you talk about transferring power. Like Australia is a large, mainly sun-soaked continent. And in the, the state I live, Western Australia, one third of the country, up in the north, in the middle of nowhere, they're talking about building a massive solar power plant up there and then shipping the power, not for Australia, but, but I think it's Singapore, I do believe. And so I went, well, oh, it can be done. It's an engineering issue, but they're going to take solar power, electricity, to Singapore, and I went, well, that's great. Why are we not doing it to Perth or Brisbane or Sydney or Darwin? or anywhere? Like, it just seemed odd that we're sending it across an ocean to someone else. Well, you, you said it yourself, though, before. I think it was you, Greg, that Australia is a sun-soaked country with bountiful resources. Um, Perth, in particular, hard to think of a better place to, to, yeah. to build renewables. Um, other than maybe middle of northern territory where because it's it's Mike Cannon Brooks who's planning that. Right. Okay. Right. I think I think it, and you know, so he's he's the head of Lassian. To those who don't know, he's kind of like the Australian Elon Musk, but less problematic, maybe. I don't know. We, we, haven't, we haven't discovered his his weirdness yet, maybe. He seems like Does a nice he tweet. Guy. He he probably doesn't tweet. Oh, I think he he helped to set up the partnership in South Australia between yes. Tesla for the battery. Yeah, the- well, that's that's all Texas. One billionaire basically to dare another billionaire. What was I think he tweeted Elon Musk and went, "Hey, what you know? How serious are you about making solar things? South Australia needs you. Uh, how serious are you?" And Elon Musk went, "If you pay me this much money, I'll get done in a hundred days. How's that for serious?" And they went, "Oh, two billionaires has made a decision. <laughs> Good." <laughs> Yay, but also, um, wait. I mean, that's how the space race happened. It's just what? two very rich country, oh, that- governments on Earth going, hey, fuck you. No, fuck you. You know what? We're going to go to space. Oh, well, we're going to go to space first. Well, fine. I can't wait to see those cabinet papers released. Boom. Just like exactly Velcro as and there. Teflon. I wasn't aware that it was at last in building it. It's a, it's I, a great I don't idea. Think but he's like, you know, he's using his vast phenomenal cosmic powers to to drive it so money it's not- money he's using money yeah, money yeah. Okay, yeah. okay okay cool all right good which i think is pretty wild because it does sound like such a far out idea but this is not a guy who is prone to like i mean obviously he's got some ability to take some big risks mm. but he's also not a crackpot like he knows what he's talking about and you know if they can pull it off well a country like singapore lacks land lacks resources 
if you could have those imports, I mean, potentially incredibly lucrative. I, I think it's a it's a hard sell, but it's so exciting. I wondering, I've always been wondering how much is the is what seems to be the foot dragging, not actually because of the difficulty of it, but because there's entrenched industries that make a lot of money out of not doing that. And so new companies, upstart companies are coming in and making electricity with uh, solar power and wind. But of course, those old companies that the petroleum country based ones, so they're also trans transitioning over slowly but surely so i my question i guess is how much is it we can't do it and how much is it we just got to make it worthwhile for those companies to relinquish their money by giving them more money somewhere else or something i don't know what the answer is. tough isn't it <laughs> i guess like if you if building a if building a wind farm is a good idea then anyone in theory should build a wind farm but if you own a coal power station mm. now if you build this wind farm you're gonna probably reduce your profits on your coal power station you're going to mm. eat your own lunch so the question is do you want to do it or are you going to wait for someone else to do it yeah, yeah and i think there's an element so far that if you own coal you're much less enthusiastic <laughs> to to go out and drive this that was the most wonderfully polite way of putting it by the way i love it thank you jill that's why that's why you work in this industry and i i'll get shot one day that's fine <laughs> Do you think it would be have to be government controlled then? Do would for example, out of a taxes, Australians' taxes and people around the world's taxes, we're going to have to pay money to transition, get big companies to transition over, even though they've made lots of profit out of us already. We still have to kind of get them to, you know, okay, here's here are tax credits, here, I don't know, here's an incentive money-wise to get you to come across. Well, this is where I veer into my own personal feeling. We, we've tried that a couple of times. So about a decade ago, was the Gillard government gave oh, went out to say to coal power stations, we're going to hold like a reverse auction for, for you to close by 2020. You tell me how much I need to pay you now for you to commit to close. And effectively they came back with these wacky numbers. Like we want, you know, several trillion dollars <laughs> and, thought that because the government was you know had established this scheme they were going to do it there's only a small number of coal power stations so Mm. might as well make some bank here and at the time the government said you know what actually no we're not going to pay you and now all but one of those power stations closed of their own choice before 2020 wow okay so, which I, I actually had a little bet running with myself as to where they all closed beforehand and I lost. <laughs> um, because I don't get to buy myself something really nice. But that's that's fine. But they, so, so you know, yeah, look, you can pay them. But a much better way is actually it's what, what the New South Wales government is doing right now is, so this is Matt Keane in the, the Liberal New South Wales government, and they've realised that... These Ooh, for, our, for our international listeners, that's a conservative government? And they've sort of realised that these coal power stations are going to close and they're going to close soon. We don't know when, but all it takes is one thing to go wrong. You know, something breaks down the plant. No one's going to spend big dollars to replace it. Mm. And if a plant goes suddenly, well, now we've got a real problem because there's this like two gigawatt shortfall in our system. Mm. So what they've done is they say, we're going to go out and we're going to effectively encourage and if necessary, underwrite new renewable projects or new projects, not just renewables, to replace these coal power stations ahead of time. Mm. And we're going to make sure that there is enough stuff there that when these coal power stations go, who cares? And this is a great solution. 
mm. because it means that we're we're prepared. So it's not so it's we're saying some people may want it now, and it probably would be best if we just switch everything off and you know we all we all live in the dark for climate change reasons. But that's an unrealistic way of looking at it. So this sounds like a a compromise of we understand that in the next twenty five years, let's say that this will be shut down and we're going to replace it with renewable energy. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's probably not twenty five years. Oh, but I think it's it's off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly what the assumptions are, but it's an assumption that assuming that the majority of coal, not all, but the majority closes by 2030. Oh, okay, right. Oh, that's wow. And they're, that's what they're, they're building towards, making sure that New South Wales transitions. So this means that they're going to get to 50, 60% renewables by 2030 based mm. on this new legislated rule. Queensland is legis- uh, doesn't have legislated, but it's targeting 50%. Victoria has legislated 50%. Tasmania is legislating 200% renewables <laughs> by 2040. Wow. Okay. And South Australia is already at uh, 60% more. They say, so this is why I feel optimistic, mm. that all the governments realise there is a problem here. And I don't think you need to pay coal generators to close. You know, they yep. know... But it's also true that we are in the short term going to have to pay something like, and the way it's been so far is that you you subsidize new renewables Mm. a little bit, not a lot, but but a little bit to help bridge that gap. Because while new renewables are cheaper than new coal, if you've already built a coal power station, you're not spending any more money on it. You're just digging up the dirt in your backyard and throwing it in. Mm. Well, that's the cheapest source. If you forget about climate change. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> which, which always, which I try to do every morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking also about in Australia. So your the idea then was a state wise, all these states are doing different things. And in the US, especially, they're very much, their states are a lot stronger than our states. They sort of make their own decisions a lot of the time. I saw recently uh, with Texas or the, the issues that happened in Texas where our listeners in Texas started having no power because of a, 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 um, a polar vortex knocking out their grid. Other people in the country didn't have, in the US, didn't have a problem because they had they were part of the West energy grid or the East energy grid. And Texas is the only one, as far as I'm aware, that isn't part of the energy grid, either one of them. And so therefore it had no resilience whatsoever. When their system fell over, they couldn't port in power from Arkansas, let's say, or other states around Texas, which I definitely know. Uh, attitudes of rugged individuals. Yes. And that's- don't need anyone else's power because when their power goes out, they'll just freeze it's- to fucking death. <laughs> And that's sadly what happened. Uh, so with the modern system, it would probably be better to have it nationalised or, I know it's very terrible, socialism nationalised, but at least an uh, across-the-country grid or a multi-state grid or some sort of agreement on a federal level, probably better than individual states. Yeah, absolutely. A, a coherent national approach to climate change. And again, just at the point, not just about the electricity grid, but we mm. need to think broader because I think electricity, it's the, we have the plan. We know how to decarbonize. We can do it quicker if we needed to. So what you want to make sure is a way that if aluminium smelting needs an extra 10 years to transition to using green hydrogen and other techniques, and they've got their own plans, if that's going to take a little bit longer, we want to make sure that electricity can do a bigger share in the short term. You know, it can move faster while others move slower. And Australia does have like a national grid, not mm. not WA, 
Sorry, guys. And not Northern Territory. Um, We're barely part of the nation, so that's fine. Hey, you're the one that keeps closing the border. Oh, look, I did, not me personally. I had nothing to do with this. I've oh, seen the you, cabinet. Oh, he, his attitude's changed now. When it first closed, he was like, we're a, a little castle of our own. No, I wasn't. That was that is, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, no, look at me. Oh, that's no, I'm not bad. I, I don't hold a brick. That is not that is not ex- what happened whatsoever. But anyway, thank you, Dan. And now you want to keep the border closed because you say uh, these drug imports. Now, I, I look. I, no, I. Mm, that's drug imports. Isn't all the meth in Perth? Th- th- yes, but we 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 bring in the best best meth elsewhere. It seems the best meth in Perth. Best meth in Perth. Oh, that's why I have no teeth anymore. My septum's gone. Yes, that look. <laughs> as a side. As a, yeah, yeah, ooh, dark. As a side note, when I found that out, that our premier was was just floating the concept of, oh, we'll just keep the border closed because of meth. I was just, I, I went, oh, now I know why people take to the streets because that's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're skating very close to authoritarian rule at this point. Like really just like, and when, when, when I love the fact that it was like, and it said, he actually said, and if anyone, if anyone uh, asks me why I'm doing this, whether it's a good idea, all I'll say to them is, I care about stopping drugs. I was like, oh, shut up. Shut up. Like such a crap answer. Such a pat. Anyway, it's not happening now because most of Western Australia, I think there was like a weird sound of guns being primed uh, and, and a lot of rumbling from people. And it went, and, the, and it stopped. So Guns being primed. I don't know. What Americans are just laughing. Look, it's like you need to get oil in them and like pump them up in order. Well, to... no, there's no oil. It's the soakers, Dan. It's no. Right. You have to. You have to get. I saw Hamilton. You've got to get. You got. You got to get the ball down. No, no. You, right. no, you got the wad in, and you got to get the. You got to get the the, the gunpowder. It's one way around. Gunpowder than the wad, and then the ball, and tamp it down, and then you get. You stand behind the other guy. You fire, and then while you're reloading, they fire. That's how they defeated the British. We really need to get WA a bit more up to date with the rest of. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Leave WA alone. Poor WA. I, I feel I've been very negative, and and Joel, you've been very positive. So I, I want to be vaguely positive. It's a perfect relationship in a podcast about energy. I know. <laughs> I and, and, and all podcasts. It's, it's fine. I understand that, but I feel, feel sometimes that they, there will be short, sharp shocks in a positive direction and and what i'm basing this on is suddenly you hear about china has said we're not going to produce any more uh internal combustion engines we're not going to build them and we're not going to buy them in our country past 2035 he says think he's pulling a number from his head and you go oh when suddenly the most populous nation on earth says we don't want to use internal combustion engines that's the short sharp shock that it's it's a a red flag to the market of don't make these cars anymore. No one's going to buy them anymore and no one's going to like repair them. No one's going to junk them. I think their new cars are actually going to run on a human blood. And I, I don't know where they're getting a stockpile of that from. <laughs> well, I don't know why they build up such a from mm. natural pro. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. So <clears throat> allegedly, allegedly now, so, Dr. Joel, do you think that is a, a reason for, about to say, non-concern? I can't even be happy anymore. I just have to say non-concern. That's how bad my everything's become. <laughs> it's, it's almost, it's like the opposite, you know, be alert, not alarmed. It's sort of like the opposite, you know, be optimistic, but not happy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. Don't be giddily gleeful about the climate falling apart. No, no, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's not as crap as it was. or It's not it's not accelerating as fast as it was yesterday into badness. And I know the memes we're doing around, but it's this sort of, you know, the idea of compromising. Well, we'll just, you know, if we meet you halfway, will that be good enough? And the answer mm. is no. Literally mm. no. No, it's good enough. If the sea levels only rise 10 metres instead of 20 <laughs> metres, yeah. still a bad outcome. So, mm. you know, while I say I'm on renewables, you know, I'm a four out of five that could easily fall by the wayside or you know on the one hand we could have great new opportunities you know somebody develops an even cheaper battery tesla discovers that way to halve the cost again next year well mm. great we're going to get move even faster but on the other hand you know all it takes is perhaps dare i say a donald trumpian type leader again in the future to set back that climate action even further you know mm. that can happen in australia it can happen anywhere more likely in the US, though, I think. And we've always got to keep, you know, looking to what that next thing is and not just you say, oh, we just did this really good thing. Does that mean we can rest now? Well, no, because we're still not on that line that takes us to a safe climate future. So ending up then, finishing up, what's the thing that renewable energy scrubs noobs like Dan and I never asked that you're just you wish people would ask about like why didn't they why didn't they ask about this thing that'll explain everything that's a really good question well i see it's hard because you ask all the good questions ah Uh, dr joth while we have you on that's okay well speaking of good questions i've got uh, can i ask one more question Uh, here we go go because i had this thing on the on twitter the other day where someone was complaining about our new hydrogen economy where we're going to start getting our coal and burning it to turn it into hydrogen and then taking the hydrogen and then burning it in order to get electricity. And they were like, this is, this is madness. This is sheer madness. And I was like, well, hold on a sec. Doesn't this mean that you can put the hydrogen into a bottle and take it somewhere else and then burn it somewhere else? And at some point you can stop using the coal to make the hydrogen and you can start using solar. And so all the infrastructure is already there then and you can just switch across. I think if you've, you've hit upon a bit of a, an active discussion as to these trade-offs <laughs> because one of the catches is, yeah, so you could export the coal. You could export coal power as hydrogen, send it to other countries. That is a relatively inefficient process. So making hydrogen, shipping it, and then unbottling it is relatively inefficient now that is absolutely fine if you're powering it off renewables which are cheap because you just smack a couple of extra solar panels in and it doesn't really matter you know how efficient or inefficient that is because the end once you build the solar panels the energy is free and you're shipping it to places that have no alternatives but with coal it would mean you'd actually be burning more coal in the short term Mm. and actually increase emissions uh, now, there's, there's ideas that you could apply carbon capture and storage to that coal. So you could burn the coal but capture its carbon. Seems a little bit like a pipe dream to me. There's lots of interest in carbon capture and storage, but it's hard. It's expensive. So couldn't you, just, couldn't you just put a thing across the chimney and then just fill up the warehouse full of the smoke? Like, wh- why, do the, why do you have to let out the, the byproducts? <laughs> Well, I think that's a, a good experiment to try sometime, Tan. You know, we can sort of see if there are any unintended consequences. Be a bit sooty for the people working there. But other than that... You're sort of getting back to a Mary Poppins chimney sweep type... Uh, oh, how romantic that would be. Yeah. 
<laughs> a romantic all, age. All the power but, workers singing and dancing afterwards. But but what if you what if you burn the coal and sort of in a battery? It's a it's a battery which is filled with acid and is is a complex device. A better way of moving electricity around physically than a bottle full of hydrogen i'm really support i mean there's a mix of things right again no silver board there's the sun cable you can have to build some big power lines but yeah hydrogen is just a natural export we could as australia given how much wind and solar we have we could convert all of our coal exports into hydrogen exports not by burning coal and turning into hydrogen but just Mm. by building the wind and solar that we have and exporting it to me that's the future of our energy exports if we want to be a superpower it's got to be in that and of course, it's pretty easy for us to move the hydrogen around because, I mean, you just build a big blimp, you fill it up, and you, you use it to transport itself across. You just throw blimps at people. Have another blimp. Have oh, another blimp. Wow. So it would actually be it would actually be negative cost to like transport <laughs> this stuff. Yeah, you send <laughs> like, yeah, it over, ship if, the blimp back by ship, and even if you yeah, even if you stuck it on a boat and they're like charging you by the kilo, they end up owing you. They end up in the red. <laughs> well, I love it. It's a, it, it, for every every ton of steel that we put on a boat and send it up somewhere, we just make sure we have a ton of of, uh, of hydrogen to to make sure it balances it out. I don't think it works that way. That's fine. And <laughs> and uh, don't do not write in and tell us I'm joking. And, uh, and it lifts it up, and then therefore it's equal. And you pay by the you pay by the mass, the buoyancy. Pay by the buoyancy. I'm trying to think this through now. There you go. We've done it. Oh, mm-hmm. what a great gift to, to humanity! Oh, the humanity. <laughs> High school students all across the country are going to be working to set that problem for their, uh, you know, exercises yeah. tomorrow by physics teachers. <laughs> I thought of my, my, my missing question. I thought of my Good. missing question, which Fantastic. is it's something some people talk about. But the, the big question is when you switch to renewables, what happens to the coal communities that are left behind? Mm. Because the reality is that these coal power stations, there's often whole communities and towns built around that coal mine mm. and that coal power station. It's very easy, I think, particularly if you're an engineer, to sort of get caught up in the the problem solving of the, the electronics and the power signals, but to forget that we actually have this really real issue that these communities need to be supported through the transition. Oh, I don't care the, about if the, the, if the blue sky mining company won't come to their rescue, who's going to save them? Who's going to save them? Well, that's a very good midnight oil joke there, Dan, and I appreciate it. I'm, I'm going to bet that maybe three of our Australian audience gets it, but they're the people we want to be listening to our podcast. That's my target demo. <laughs> so anyway, Even you know, Joel was looking a little bit confused. Yeah, that's right, yes. Sorry, my, my pop culture is not up to scratch, you know. Yes, <laughs> Dan's up-to-date midnight oil band from the 80s. <laughs> you want to do Marvel quotes, I'm your guy, but... Uh, <laughs> Who's who's doing this to you, Joel? Who's doing this to you? <laughs> See, there you go. He got that one. That's a one division <laughs> joke. Anyway, moving on. <sighs> uh, that's the sort of the missing bit. It's a really hard question. You know, the just transition that people talk about. But is what do we do? And I think there's a big role for renewable companies that we can target projects in those towns, help mm. to retrain. There's such natural overlap, and but there's also a role for governments mm. because if we're going to, you mentioned before, do we need to pay the the big polluters to help them to transition? Uh, I've got no sympathy, really. Yeah, but I agree. You know, if we're going to spend that money, the workers, yeah, we need to make sure that them and their families have that support. So, oh, hey, lean in, lean in, lean in, Joel, lean in, Dan, lean in, lean in, listeners, lean in. I'm going to say something. Universal basic income. 
I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it, it, it gets around to the problems. All we these got problems. a communist here. He's <laughs> a communist. But yeah, UBI, we've had Scott Santons on the podcast in the past. Uh, you look up UBI, listen to our podcast about it. Maybe Universal. It's great. Up. It was a great podcast. That, that oh, 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 thank you. And so, or something, or something about that. Uh, maybe something on that area. Maybe that's the answer. Then we don't have to worry. No, we don't have to retrain people we can give them the opportunity to get themselves out of the problem and go somewhere else because they're not financially stuck in one spot in their lives anyway yes i will now put down the red manifesto book clunk that's fine well i think it's safe to say that the coal industry is not the only industry that's going to go through a big transition in the next few years Mm. so yeah Yeah. industries industries i i'm not for i heard a great quote from an economist and let's just say stop stop supporting industry stop supporting corporations start supporting people because people are people who work for corporations and industries and if they can work they're going to go find something else to do it's the transferable skills are a thing that's uh, the whole point of industry yeah and, and it's a, don't, it doesn't benefit by itself it's for us yeah, that's it. it's all for us there's more communism Sorry, here I, I, more I, communism I, here i sound a bit biblical there <laughs> No, it's, it's so if you start, if you support people, then you can have lots of different industries, and industries can rise and fall. It just means a few people at the top, and the stakeholders won't be happy for a bit. That ah, uh, but they're, they're going to get eaten anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, that was a weird laugh. <laughs> and we're back to Dan's new fuel for cars. Got it. <laughs> With that bombshell, once again, everyone comes back to Dan. Thank you, Dr. Joel Gilmore. Uh, if people want to find you, where should they hunt you down? In a lovely caring way you can catch me on twitter that's my primary domain or i am on facebook and linkedin and those other places as well but uh yeah very keen to continue this conversation and any good solutions let me know and those links will be in the show notes at smartenough.org brilliant once again thank you dr joel and thank you uh dr dan and we will see you all in the future ladies and gentlemen well hopefully we'll have renewable energy that'll be great Thanks to Joel and Dan for coming on to Wild Wonders Why to talk about all things renewable energy. So what did I take away from that interview? Actually, quite a bit of hope. It feels that we have the technological ability to fix the problem. What we might not have is the political will. But guess what, people? Mm, politics actually is a group of people who make a decision. So if you're politicians, whatever country you're in, as long as you're a democratic country, of course, aren't supporting renewable energy then don't vote for them vote for someone else make that the hill that you want to die on basically Uh, you can vote them out it can be done it may be hard but you can do it so get out there and do it now after we recorded that podcast less than 24 hours later here in australia in victoria the yaloon power station has been shut down years early four years in fact it was australia's last brown coal power factory and it's been closed early in favor of giant batteries as joel was saying it's exactly what they thought would happen these power plants aren't worth keeping around and they're not going to replace them with more coal they're going to replace them with batteries with renewable energy so that is a good thing i'm trying to be hopeful here there is definitely hope I hope you find hope in the world around you. I hope you support renewable energies in some way, at least politically, maybe even with hard-earned money of your own to buy it and put it on your roof or put it anywhere around your house that you can. But really, it is something we are working towards. Ladies and gentlemen, be well, be safe, be excellent to each other. If you can be anything, be kind. See you next time. (laughs) 